Welcome to the League of Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Davis. Today, I am pleased to introduce my guest, Wachin Yanu. Wachin is a strategic marketing and business development expert from Liberia who lives here in Chicago. She is currently the Senior Vice President of Marketing Partnerships for the WNBA Chicago Sky. Wachin is also the founder of the I Choose the Ladder company, aimed at bridging the gap between ambitious Black women who want to climb the corporate ladder and the corporations who understand how important it is for their bottom line to attract, retain that group. Watching holds a bachelor's in communications from DePaul University. That's DePaul with a W in Indiana, not to be confused with DePaul in Chicago. She is currently pursuing her MBA at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Prior to working at the WNBA Sky, she had stops at Comedy Central, Hearst Digital, Yahoo, and Johnson Publishing Company. Watchin has been recognized as a Chicago Scholars 35 Under 35 honoree, a 2018 Chicago Business Journal Woman of Influence honoree, a Biz, Biz Woman 2018 headliner, and a 2019 Women's Expo presented by BET Her, Phenomenal Woman honoree. Watching is also a proud member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. <laughs> Watching, welcome, welcome, welcome. Hi, uh, thank you for having me. You know, I had to, I couldn't help myself. Shout you, out know, you know, I've been waiting for someone to do that because I like to read the, the bio right here and just kind of see the energy build up. You're the first person to do that. Right Listen, in the middle. I read DST till the day I die. Love, love, love being a Delta. So, which is always fortunate. And that's and that's exactly how we met. Um, you know, I've I've known you for just about two years now, and we met while I was working at City Year Chicago. You're working at uh, still working at the Chicago Sky, mm-hmm. volunteering at MLK Day 2018. I had mm-hmm. just started City Year maybe a month or two prior to that. Mm-hmm. You were there with your team volunteering. You had Delta Sigma Theta hat on. Sure did. And that's why I went up and I spoke to you, and I'm like, hey, my wife's a Delta. And, you know, started connecting all of those different dots. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh, he has great decision-making skills if he decided to marry <laughs> a Delta. So obviously, obviously I could talk to this person. <laughs> but you know what? The bigger thing was you, were, you made sure to represent at that moment. And I saw that and recognized, okay, we have at least some baseline commonality. Let's, let's go talk, see who knows who. I'm always trying to network anyway. So, you know, it made it simple. Uh, made it simple. So it's been on since then. It has. And we, you know, worked on some things together since then and have, you know, been huge supporters of each other's work, um, which I think is important, especially in the city. So I'm really glad that we found the time to do this. Absolutely. So it's been, you know, it's been a pleasure, um, you know, getting to know you and then also just bringing you into my village, um, having you speak at some things at work and just connecting mm-hmm. some other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bigger part is like I'm a super fan of the podcast. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if there's a bigger male fan out there, but um, you know that's you know I send you those messages on the side. I reply to something like, "Hey, this is my thought on that" or whatever, unsolicited, always. Always welcome, though. Always welcome. And you know your your podcast, um, you know, really got me to thinking. As I'm thinking, oh, this is great for you know, this is great for Black women, you know, that are being super ambitious and really looking for frameworks and ways to propel their careers. And then I got to thinking, there are none that I know of that are of or for Black men. Mm-hmm. And so, 
listening to your podcast and just looking at the types of guests you have on the messages. I'm like taking notes and I'm sharing with everybody. Hey, I thought, I thought about this for you. I'm like the background plug. And one of my, my buddies who I had on the show early, uh, Deidre Grayson, she was like, what are you waiting for? Just do it. And so between the two of you kind of helped me put this together uh, to kind of bridge that gap and then open it up, you know, primarily for black and, you know, black men and women, but for whoever can benefit from, mm-hmm. from the messages here. So I'm and a cheerleader. I'm a fan. That's what I say about the podcast, though, right? So the podcast is from the lens of a Black woman because I believe that it's important to tell your own stories, right? So it's not from the lens of women of color. I'm not a woman of color. I'm a Black woman, right? And so the experiences that I can speak to are that of Black women in corporate America. Um, And, you know, that's part of why I did the podcast because a lot of times I think women are painted with like a brush. Like we're all bumped into that category and women of color are all lumped into one category. But there are experiences that we have that are uniquely ours. And those tend to be the things that hold us back in corporate America, not necessarily some of the common um, things that we have with other women. So for me, it was like, how do we address this? Because these are the things that I think can actually move the needle as it pertains to careers. And so that what you just said made me think of how where we are right now. And I'm sure we'll circle back, but it just made me stop here and thinking about some of the communications that I'm developing for my job and for other other organizations that I'm affiliated with um, and making sure that the experiences of black people are not swept up under the umbrella blanket of people of color. And so I have a rule of thumb. If it's two groups of people, then call those two out. You know, if it's blacks and Latinos, say blacks and Latinos. If it's three, then it's people of color. It's a a different experience, but I think it's important that we call out things that are specifically black Mm -hmm. when it's time to call them out. And, you know, some people are afraid to name the thing and and a lot of times when people say people of color, they mean black. They just don't want to say it because they're afraid of whatever backlash or thing that, that may happen. But if you mean black, like be specific with the words that you choose to use. And if you meet like when, so even in interviews, people will say, oh, she has a podcast for women of color. And I, like, I correct them every single time. It doesn't mean that other women can't benefit from it. We have readers of all different nationalities. We have people from all different nationalities who um, who attend our events, who purchase our products, but you are always gonna get a black woman. So the podcast interviews will always be for black, will be black women spotlighting and highlighting their voices. At events that we throw, the people who are experts will always be black women, like always. And so it's a very black experience. It's intended to be that. And it doesn't mean that you can't learn from black women. You can learn from black women. Um, But what you should always expect is that you will be encountering a black woman at the forefront. And you know, what's interesting about that is I think maybe it's because we're both marketing professionals and we live in this world where we always see differentiation. And I specifically didn't call the League of Leaders like the League of Black Leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though, um, you know, we'll be doing some, some workshops and things like that, I'm making sure that you'll know who it's for based on what you see. Mm-hmm. And with your podcast, it's, I choose a ladder. It's not, it doesn't, sep- it doesn't separate anyone. And we see that in, in everything else mainstream. And that's how we know it's not for us. And it's so funny how that happens where it's like, if it's not black in there, we'll say, oh, well, that's not for me. But when we have that opportunity to shift it, and present what we mean, we have that opportunity. And I think we're both, we're kind of on that path to doing that. 
And if you listen to the podcast, it says you are now listening to I Choose the Ladder, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb, right? Like that was intentional. Um, it's because I think that every, like we always feel like it's we're an afterthought, right? And I wanted to create something, curate something where you knew that this was the person that I was thinking about when I made it, right? With most general market things, you know that they were thinking about white people. And then they were like, oh, we should throw some color in there. And now right. this is a, like, I was thinking about black. Sprinkle of seasoning on top after all the ingredients are already put in. Yeah, no, but I was thinking about black women when I created this. And everybody else, you are more than welcome to come on in. But my, my laser focus and the population that I want to impact the most are black women. So you're like one of the few people that I know that is probably busier than I am. You know, outside of all of this, you know, I think we've all slowed down a little bit or at least shifted gears. Uh-huh. And, you know, I'm wondering like, all right, Watch has got the job, which is demanding on its own. You're in grad school, not just grad school with Booth. Mm-hmm. And you got the podcast, you know, these different people. Where do you get the time or how do you balance all of these different things that you have going on? So I think it's always funny when people who have whole families, whole wives, whole kids asking about balance, right? It's, it's different. I don't have the kinds of responsibilities that you have. So if I decide that I'm working 18 hours a day, who's going to shag me, boo? Like nobody, right? It's literally just me. Um, and so I think it's easier for me to balance it because I've made the choice to sacrifice my personal life, right? It's, it, and it's something that I'm aware of. You know, I want kids. To me, success does involve being married or partnered um, with a man and having kids and building a family. But I've decided that at this chapter in my life where I have a window where I can focus on um, building something that hopefully will allow me a level of freedom once I have a family is the priority right now. May I, will I regret this in a few years? I don't know. Um, I am grown, so I'm 36. I was, I was about to sound 35, but I'm not. So I'm 36. And so I am starting to think more about kids and family and what that looks like. But for me, it's more important to have the freedom to be the kind of mom and wife that I want to be than to do it like right now. Like I don't feel any pressure to do it right now. And that's a good position to be in. Yeah, sometimes because mama, but my mom is like, <laughs> my mom is like, girl, you think you're gonna marry your job? And I'm like, mom, that's not. Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to be acting like this over no marriage and no kids. Like back up. But the generational difference is real. Um, and I was just talking to someone, uh, talking to my neighbor, just around how um, people are starting later because that's how that's how life is. You have to set that foundation. Life's more expensive. It's more complex. You want to be able to, like you said, be able to have that flexibility and freedom to be, you know, the mother, the wife that you want to be based on the foundation you set. Yeah. And it is harder to do it the other way around where you start family and then, you know, you're trying to figure it all out. Now you got to balance kids, do all these types of things. Mm-hmm. And you don't have that same opportunity to be as entrepreneurial or uh, and ambitious. It's a little bit easier once you get a little bit further down, but that's that generational difference. Like my dad got married when he was, what, 21. I, had to, I got married first time when I was 21, but... Still, it's different. You know, they had kids and then they also stayed at a job for 30, 40 years. But now it's like you got like two, three years move around and, you know, people are more business minded. My mom and my dad got together when my mom was 16 and my dad was 17. Mm. And my mom is, I think, like 62 or 63. My dad's 64. Right. So they don't. I'm like, mom, you you didn't even date since the Internet's been like you have this. <laughs> so my dad has never had a resume. because He's he's an engineer. Same job. 
the entire time. Um, and my mom, you know, she worked at the same company. She retired. She worked for the same, she ran the same nonprofit for years, right? She didn't, it, it's just a different concept. But I also wasn't someone who grew up picturing their marriage or like right. their, right. I grew up picturing like, this thriving business. Like I've always had this in my mind of like, this is what I want to build. Which doesn't and surprise so, me. <laughs> right. And, and so I don't feel like, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel maybe the sense of pressure. Maybe other people feel like I have friends who grew up like, and they knew that they just wanted to be wives, not just, but like that they wanted to be wives and they wanted to be mothers. And for them, that was that North star. That's not how I'm wired. Um, and so I try not to like try to force myself into that. And COVID has pro- like proven to me, I can be up and I don't know how y'all married people do it. Being in the house with the same person 24 seven for three months, if you live in an apartment and there's nowhere to, listen, I've cleaned the kitchen more than I ever will ever again. But if you have kids, you have to feed them, which means that you're always cleaning. Like I, I just, I take my, I take my hat off to parents. I take my hat off to all of the y'all who were trying to like e-learn and cook and clean and do work. It, it just, it seems, so when people ask me how I balance it all, I'm like, it's just me. Like how do you, y'all who are real adults, <laughs> like how did y'all do it? Because it just seems like I, I, I would make it. I would have had to send my kids to Africa to be with their grandparents because I just could not. It just, it seems like it's a lot. It is, but you get through. I mean, you prioritize, you figure out, you you value spaces. You know, like I've spent way more time in my office than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. I thought it would just be somewhere to pop in, yeah. do some things, but I wasn't also wasn't planning on working from home. Mm. Um, you know, my wife, she's figuring out how to do her video. She does her, you know, it's a makeup artist, so she's not able to go see clients. So she's had to pivot with her business. So she's doing yeah. videos in a room. I'm in here, our daughter's running around. Thank God she's not of school age because I can mm. imagine having to learn the lesson plan and then dedicate time for that. And so it's, it's, I mean, it, it definitely took a little while to kind of get to this point. You know, we, you know, got a groove everybody's schedule. It's different, but. What have you learned about, what have you learned about yourself in COVID? Oh, good question. Um, That I am definitely an extrovert. (laughs) If if there was ever a question, which there wasn't. Um, I'm an extrovert who really, really loves social interactions. And so, um, but I found that that can also be, uh, cured through virtual means, you know, so like a lot of podcasts, I'm doing these like happy hours. I'm still finding ways to engage mm-hmm. also that I can be a disciplined reader. Um, yeah. until like maybe I've taken a little bit of a break for a couple of weeks, but I was banging out a, a book a week. That's just, phenomenal. Just getting through. So like, I'm looking at my stack of books and it's just like that I'm just breezing through. So the things, there were some things that I felt I didn't have time for. And once we removed some of my extracurricular uh, obligations, which at the end of the day were just obligations that I really didn't need to do. Mm-hmm. It was routine. Once you pull those out and you take away uh, commuter commuting time, you realize you have a whole lot of time between the time you stop working and go to sleep. So, um, I, I would say probably just time management um, yeah. is what I've learned. So, but I did have a question for you okay. around the podcast and the episodes are dope. You have great guests and there's a lot of content that's, that's discussed and, you know, great uh, perspective shared. 
how have you grown since launching the uh, the podcast? So I am <clears throat> bolder, um, and I am um, I am more convinced of my value that I bring into spaces, and I feel like. I've let go of the illusion of what it what it would mean for me and about me to be a CEO of a company that I don't own, or just a CEO in general. I think that we have a lot of romanticized ideas about what life is like at the top of the ladder, whatever that top is for you, and then meeting women who are at those spaces who are like, let's pull back the curtain a little bit, which is what I wanted to do with the podcast, right? I'm very intentional about the guests that I choose, but I choose black women who know that they're black women who are open and transparent about the black experience. And so I've been able to get a peek into those seats and the things that they deal with and like the level of um, stress and responsibility that comes with it. And it's made me not romanticize it as much. Like Mm -hmm. I don't, and I also look at people, I I feel like this is how I was raised, but to me, everybody's equal. I don't care what your title is. I care about how you treat people. And so being able to see that part, like the human part of these high level women, I think has shifted my perspective on what it is that I think I want for my life. And I think that's, that's a, that's a a valid uh, observation. Um, you know, I always joke around on Facebook and I say people always want to lead until it's time to lead some shit and it gets real. And then once you get into those leadership positions, it's not enough that you're, you're, you're managing yourself through these situations. And now you're managing all these different demands and responsibilities and making decisions that affect other people, their lives, their livelihoods. And you gotta, it's not for everybody. Everybody thinks that being a boss is like the ultimate goal. But once you start to get into those seats, to your point, it makes you realize maybe I need to do my own thing or um, or just kind of calibrate my expectations. But yeah, it, it, it gets real. Like I'm listening to the women you have and I'm just like, they are way up there. And, and to hear that they're facing some of the same challenges as junior professionals, yeah. it just happens to get paid more and being paid more doesn't cure any of that. You know, you still carry that stress and, you know, and I think that's a other misconception. It's like, oh, I mean, you get paid, yeah, but at the end of the day, it's not always about money. And but the, here's what I also want people to understand: money that you are not generating on your own can be a trap, right? Because when you're incorporated, you set up your lifestyle based on your earning in, in like your earning potential. And once you get accustomed to living a certain lifestyle financially, it is incredibly difficult to bring yourself back down. And at any point, that company could pull that income from you, and then you have set up a life that is dependent on that level of living. There are tons of black women now who I've had conversations with, right, who are having real, real moral struggles with how their companies are dealing with black people and Black Lives Matter and COVID and all that stuff, but because they set up a lifestyle that is dependent on that really high six-figure salary, they are at a crossroads with how they move forward, right? Especially if you are the breadwinner for your family, right? It becomes very, very tough because it's not a a me who can say, well, forget it. Like I can live off of ramen noodles because it's just me. If you have people who are depending on you and you've been making quarter million, half a million for 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. you set up certain things in your life that are dependent on your ability to earn that 
for unless you've been investing or you've been smart with your money and it just it people have to be really careful at how much priority they put on money that you're not in control of generating like a hundred percent. But back to that, your earlier question, there was this one, there's a woman and literally, and I won't say who it is, but you probably know because I talk about her all the time, who is like, who was my career goals? Like if you would have asked me who, whose career I wanted to emulate, it would have been hers, right? Not in terms of the work that she does, but in terms of like the visibility and the impact and all of that. And then I had the option to work with her. There are six people who are dedicated to just her in order to make her life move. From one, like when she would speak here and then somebody else would send her, would give her her next folder for her next day. Like, it, it, I don't want to be someone who needs six people to make my life move, right. right? Like, I don't, but I hadn't realized, like, all that it took to be her. I just saw the end product. And so I was like, yeah, but people were like, who's, like, who's the person? I'm like, oh, I would drop her name. And then I, I was like, oh, girl, oh, no, honey. Like, I can't, it's just not, it's not. So that's, that's part of it, too. And the money, I feel like entrepreneurship is a little bit different, right? Because you have more control over um, how you generate the, the money that then fuels a lifestyle that you choose to live. I think in corporate, it's, it's a very, very, it's great to be a high earner, mm-hmm. but it, it comes with some handcuffs. Golden handcuffs is what they call it. And I, I was going to ask this question a little bit later, but, um, and we can still get into a little bit later, but what you just said, I think underscores the importance of, of internships and mentorships, uh, mentorship opportunities. And, you know, so I have a lot of people that reach out to me. They just, they don't know what I do. You know, they know Kevin's in marketing and branding and communications. And so people say, Hey, we're interested. They send me there, they're young folks in college. And so I asked them specifically, what is it that you want to do? And so we have to go down this whole path to figure out, oh, you actually want to do this one thing. Let me connect you with that person in that space that can give you a bit more realistic picture mm-hmm. of what the role, the role looks like, what that role looks like to get there. And I think once we get to our level of seniority or, or, or experience in our career, we still need that. And like you, you have that moment where it's mm-hmm. like, I want that role. And then you start to talk to her, see how things, what it takes to get there. And you're like, that's not for me. But a lot of people don't do that. They'll mm-hmm. just continue on a path and then they'll get there and they're like, oh, this is not what I expected. And so I think venues like your, your podcast and then you, you've done some, uh, some workshops and trainings and gatherings. I think that's hugely important to help, um, as you said, kind of pull the curtain back and give people a realistic picture of what this looks like and how can you position people if that, even if they want to make that, that same move how to position them to be better off where, um, you know, just kind of approach it a little bit differently. So. Um, so let me touch on the mentorship piece that you just talked about at the beginning, because this is something that I'm going to offer hopefully as a perspective shift for people, because I think we do young people in the service. So let's say I have somebody who's young, who I think like should meet you. What I would do is reach out and say, Hey, Kevin, I have this person who wants, who I think you should meet. Are you okay with me sharing your email address with them? Yep. Once you say yes, it is up to that young person to take the initiative and reach out to you. Because to me, that shows that like they are invested, right? Like they are, because most mentors that I have have been, I've met them while I've been doing something already. I've yep. never ever reached out to someone and said, Hey, can you be my mentor? I've either been volunteering on a committee with them. They've seen me at work or something, but I think we need to get young people in the mindset of knowing like, Oh, I can do this. Right. Like mm-hmm. I don't need, I might, I need somebody who can open the door, but 
I'm confident enough to walk through that door myself. And if I'm not, I can ask for help because that's a muscle that they're going to have to flex a ton, especially if they work in corporate. And so like, let's give them the opportunity to show up. Let's mm-hmm. give them the opportunity to initiate things um, because I think you'd be surprised. I have young people reach out to me all the time and I'm like, bro, how did you even get my email address? You know what I'm saying? But like, yeah. those are the ones I spend the time with because yeah. like they were willing to put themselves out there to get some, you know, even they, I might've said no, I don't say no, but like, I might've said no or whatever, but they were willing to risk it because they thought it was important enough. So yes, peer to peer, let's get permission before we share people's information, but then let young people do a little bit of the heavy lifting because they're capable. And so I think um, to add on to what you're saying, um, not so much right now in my current role, but in my last role, I was in contact with a lot of a lot of uh, college grads, like young college grads, and mm-hmm. they're trying to figure out what they were going to do when they're leaving. And so, because I've had people reach out to me, kind of you know in that bogus way of just like, oh, how'd you get my cell phone number? That prep piece, I'm very mindful of that. And so I will say, what do you? I'll figure out what talk to them. What is that you want to do? Let mm-hmm. me see. Okay, let me figure it all out. I'll call watching. Hey, watching. Hey, I got this this uh, this guy who's looking to get in corporate partnerships. He goes to school here, here. Are you open to talking to him once I finish prepping him? Mm-hmm. So then, okay, you're like, Kevin, cool, connect me. So then I go back to this guy. I'm like, all right, she's interested, but I'm not going to connect you until you're ready. Let's work on your resume. Let's figure out what it is you want from her and all of that because I don't want them to waste your time when I connect them. But once I help them with that prep and then hand it off, I'm in. There was, so there, it was like the busiest, this was one of like the busiest days last year and my office phone rings and I rarely answer my office phone because I just don't. And so I pick it up and there's a young man on the phone and it, he got my phone number from someone who I really respect about a potential internship because most sports internships are unpaid. I was able to get ours underwritten so that we could pay people because most kids of color can't afford to take unpaid internships for the whole summer, right? So this kid's talking to me and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait, it doesn't seem like what I do is what you're interested in. What is it that you want to do? He's like, oh, I'm trying to be a producer. Sir, this is a bad, how, what? So you get no, what are you going to produce at the sky, sir? We don't make beats. Like, we don't. But you know, but but this is, man, I know we're like going off, but it's, we have to have this conversation, but that's what happens sometimes when people don't ask questions. They're like, oh, uh, connect with watching. She does this. And people are like, you know what? All I do is get my foot in the door. And it's like, no, it has to be some alignment because you're going to get in and it's not what you want. We don't, we don't do that here. And it's not just on the kid because not anybody else that that person refers to me is going to get the side eye. Because right. I, I trust that you're going to send me somebody who is appropriate, right? And, and we talked about this on the podcast. Basically, when you're asking someone to intro you, what you're saying is, I want you to leverage the professional capital that you have already acquired on my behalf, right? So every time I, I send someone to Kevin, I'm putting my reputation Absolutely. and relationship with Kevin on the line for you. And I'm not willing to do that if I don't trust that you're going to show up and show out, if you're going to, if I think you're going to embarrass me and potentially risk the, the caliber or the, the relationship that I have with someone who I've been building at this point for three years, I'm not going to do it. And people should not do it. You should not do it. Well, it sounds like we need to host a, a virtual PD session on effectively, uh, effective mentoring and, and something uh, because it's not widely known. 
it's not widely known. Well, We're why not? Ourselves to At this service. point, why not? Why is it not widely known? Because to me, it is, and granted, yes, maybe, and I, and I, I try to check my privilege all the time because, you know, I had phenomenal mentors since I was 18 years old, right? Like billionaires on the cover of Forbes. And that's also part of the reason why I created the podcast because coming up, I thought that was normal. And so when someone, when a black woman would be like, one of my friends would be like, I hate my job. I would be like, well, just get a new one. And people would look at me crazy, but because (laughs) I didn't like some stuff, I was like, oh, I'm gonna get a new one, right? And I would get a new one. And, and, And then in talking to people, and when I went back to my school, like that's just not reality for a lot of people, it's especially not. if you're first generation, right? Like it's it's a and so I get it. But at this point, we have to be intentional in investing in our professional development, right? Especially if you're black in corporate, and Absolutely. it's where you where you see yourself um, for the foreseeable future. Once you decide to work in corporate America, you are agreeing to a certain set of rules that they play by. And most of us don't even know those rules. Like we don't even know that we're playing into a game or whatever. And so we, we end up, it becomes a very frustrating place and, to- and, and corporate is toxic. It can be toxic. Um, but I say this all the time, diversity and inclusion is a matter of the heart, not of the head until the people who are making decisions are personally impacted by diversity and inclusion issues, the needle is going to move very, very, very slowly, right? Because it's not until someone has a gay son that they care about LGBTQ rights. It's not until you adopt a black child that now you all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, right? So, but most CEOs who are making decision, policy decisions, when they're hanging out on the weekend, they're not calling anybody black. With, like they have white friends, like they're like you can't be diversity and inclusion at work, and then in your personal life, you are still like it just doesn't work. Right. But while they figure out those structural things, there are still black people who are trying to navigate those spaces. And for me, my time is better spent on teaching people, black women who look like me, on how to navigate corporate as it is until it changes. And if it never changes, at least you are figuring out ways where you can get what it is that you need because one. Corporate takes a lot and requires a lot of you from code switching, from leaving a lot of your authentic selves at home for all of the questions, the microaggressions. And my thing is, I'm not saying that black women should stay in corporate. What I am saying, though, is if you're going to stay, make sure that you are getting as much as you're giving. So when you do leave, you have what you need. Okay, that's real. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of the conversation. Okay. So early this year, um, you know, we all got get hit with the um, coronavirus popped up and just kind of shut down the world. And um, some people took it seriously, some didn't. All of that took place. I know it cut a lot of professional sports, cut the seasons down, canceled seasons, mm-hmm. all of that. And then fast forward and we enter... We, you know, that, that caused a lot of people to do some self-reflection because they had more time at home at that point. Mm-hmm. And then we have a situation that happens in Minneapolis mm-hmm. with uh, the murder of George Floyd uh, by, by the police, uh, police out there. And so we are at this, this point where it's what a lot of people are calling right now, like the, the next civil rights movement. And it's funny how like the wave just kind of came out of nowhere and it's almost like I don't I don't know I don't know the term, but it's like hey, it's free play right now. 
whatever you need, whatever is going on, make it work for you. And I know that's what we had talked about. Like, how do we approach this time where everybody's looking and listening and saying, what do you need? How can we help? Mm-hmm. How can we leverage that for, our, for the, the benefit of our, our professional careers? So the first part of what I'm about to say is going to be like, can we proceed a little harshly, but it's not understanding that this is not my intention. So right now you're going to see who actually has networks and who does not. If you have not built the appropriate relationships during this time, when you need them, it's going to be hard to capitalize on anything because your voice is not going to be the voice that they're looking for or at or to, right? And so hopefully my hope is that people have been strategic about forming relationships with people who have um, some professional capital that they can leverage. Um, But this is now the time, if you are Black in corporate America, to ask for the things that matter to you, right? Because granted, profiting off white guilt is not a long-term strategy. But in the short term, short, short term, there's going to be a lot of money and capital that's going to be thrown at these kinds of initiatives because of white guilt and white people feeling guilty and not necessarily wanting to really fix the problem for real. Because if they did, none of these announcements would have been made yet because they have no strategy behind it. There, there, there's no way that you came up with a strategic initiative in seven days that you have not been able to do in 30, 50, 700 years, right? Like, it's just not realistic. And so if you have a strategic way that your company could get closer to the environment that you want, now is the time to present those ideas. Also, people are at home, so people are more willing to take your calls and have conversations right now because perceivably, unless you're the CEO of a major corporation, your day is not packed with all of the meetings that you used to. People aren't just randomly dropping by your office and killing your time or whatever. So if there are initiatives that you've been thinking have been a good idea before and nobody would listen, go listen now, present them. But then ask for what it realistically takes financially to make them, to be able to execute what you want and execute it well, not just like surviving, right? I always joke, most DNI budgets are the, is like the same as what people spend on a corporate client lunch. Yeah. And that's your annual budget. For, that's not okay. If there are, like people will be more willing right now to open up their pocketbooks. And then it's up to us to prove an ROI. Because that's the only way that this sustains and it's not a fad, right? Pitch things that you have that can have measurable results because then people can't be held accountable through opinion, but they can be held accountable through facts, right? And results. And that's, I think that's the only way you hold people accountable. So pitch the ideas that you have to the people who have the ability to say yes or no. um, And then produce and hold people accountable so that it's not just a fad. But if you don't have the network and you don't have the professional capital, it's going to be just as hard for you right now to not be patronized when the conversation comes up. So this morning, and I'm sure you probably saw it too. I may have, you may have seen it just in general. And I also posted on my, my Instagram page, but I posted that they, there was an estimate of like $1.6 billion has been pledged um, in the past you know, roughly 10 days or so. And I think uh, Jordan Brand is, is leading it out. No, I think it was somebody right above them, uh, Jordan Brand and Nike, you know, and they have like a $100 million pledge. Mm-hmm. And that's all great. And my thought was around, you know, where does this go? Um, how does this impact policies and legislation? And so not just policies for like government and law enforcement, but 
inside of companies when it comes to hiring, when it comes to uh, leadership development, professional coaching, all of those types of things. But then also, are companies ready to risk some of their political capital and their and their client base? Yes, it's it's one thing to make the statement mm-hmm. that your company support you know companies support Black Lives Matter. That's cool. Mm-hmm. But when I think when it really when a rubber meets the road is when it's how 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 bothered are you really? Are you ready to now advocate on our behalf to some of your uh, elected officials, your Congress people, your senators to really you know impact legislation? And that's on the outside piece, and that you know that starts to get people a little nervous and, and scary. But uh, you know those donations are great. Um, but it, it did point out just reading some different post us online, it did point out some similarities between, you know, this point now where we were looking for ways to change the way our, our companies and organizations behave and treat black people. But then also the same question we had as it relates to politics when they say the black agenda. And so when people ask you, what do you need? Do you have an answer? Mm-hmm. And now is not the time. And I mean, unfortunately it might be some people have had to do this, but now is not the time to go huddle with everybody and say, what do we want? Mm-hmm. What have you been yearning for? What's been lacking? Because now you have the attention of everyone and we don't know how long, you know, this, this wave is going to last. So let's go back to the numbers first, right? Because I think that we get really impressed with these numbers because they sound big. So I just looked up one of them. So Goldman Sachs pledged $10 million. In 2018, Goldman Sachs annual revenue was, was what? Let me see this. Was $36.6 billion. What is $10 million to a company? But that's lunch for them. Yep. Right? But because for us, it sounds cute. And like, not to sound like it doesn't matter. It does. But you have to put things in context, right? And in perspective. Scale matters. And how they're, like, if that's running through their foundation, or if they're doing it with like nonprofits, all that $10 million is a tax write-off for them, which reduces their taxable income. I think the money is great. I want to see how your culture is moving. I want to see how your board is moving. I want to see how your employee satisfaction um, ratings are changing. I want to see how you're retaining and attracting um, black and brown employees or black employees, diverse employees, right? So to me, those things matter more than you say, I'm going to write a check that is potentially a write-off, which reduces my taxable income. Yep. And the numbers, if you look at most of those companies that $10 million and we pull back the curtains on what else they spent $10 million on. Office supplies. Like, <laughs> office supplies, trips, places, and like CEO travel, right? Like there's there, there so many things that people spend that kind of money on. But for us, because we're not used to that, no, that level of numbers, it seems massive to us. But for most of these companies, $10 million ain't shit. I don't know if we cuss on this podcast. That's cool. We good. But like, and so, yes, I, I think it's great. Like, this is a great first step. But you got to hold people accountable for how they spend that money. Yep. You got to have people who are not saying corporate is a traumatic experience for me because it hasn't changed. Right. You got to have people who have e-boards where the only black person on there is not your diversity and inclusion um, executive. Right. People have MBAs and all these advanced degrees. And the only job that you can find for them is a DNI job. Not that there's anything wrong with running DNI, right. but people are capable of more. 
People can, people are able, black people are able to manage P&Ls. They're able to manage high lines of business. They are able to lead more than just black people and black and brown initiatives. And so let's see in the next 18, 24 months, if there's actually a move to, to, to see more of that, or if we're starting to see that the retention numbers that people are leaving at a higher rate than they were before when they spent all that money. Yeah. There's a, there's a it's saying that says, there's a saying that says, um, if you want to know the strategic priorities of your organization, let me see your budget. And you know, that, that speaks volumes, even outside of work, look at the country. It's like half of our budget is on the military. So that's our focus. But in your, in your organizations, and most, most of them don't even have a budget for diversity initiatives. Um, or if it is, like you said, it's, it's, it's the same thing as like lunch for the year or, you know, or office supplies. And it's, you can't do anything. It's enough to check the box and put a couple flyers together and some banners to say we've done something, but it's not really moving the needle. If you ask any corporation, right? So we have all these ERGs. What percentage of your black employees' careers improved because they were a member of their ethnic ERG? It's zero because nothing's tied to any business initiative. It is a, a nice to have. It's not something that they're quantifying the effectiveness of. And until it's tied to like actual business, nobody's going to take it seriously. So no, I don't need a black ERG. I probably already know all the black people at the company <laughs> or in my office. Like we we know each other. We probably have a group chat for the for like if it's on a large company. And that's like, what we do. But if it's so if they don't treat it as if it's uh like you know how they talk about business when you start a business if you treat it like a hobby it's gonna flow like a hobby if you treat this this DNI thing per se as if it's like a hobby for your company the results are gonna be hobby producing then the budget will be hobby budgets like it's not if it's gonna be impactful and you're gonna actually be able to change the culture you need to take it you need to treat it as if it's a serious part of your business. So what does this also look like for entrepreneurs? Right. Okay. So <laughs> there's going to be a lot of um, people reaching out to entrepreneurs as like the token black, whatever. See, we work with black people. Here's what I will say. Get your money, right? Your rates need to be competitive and you need to ask questions to make sure that you are not being lowballed and be confident enough. And granted, again, I'm going to say this. I know it's from a a place, a place of privilege, but walk away from deals that are not mutually beneficial and mutually beneficial. Like you've decided what this works, what this works value is to you. They got it. Yeah. These corporations have the money. And like, so with, I choose a ladder, it's not a nonprofit. Right. And so everybody that we talk to, like, we're not the black write-offs. Right. And so the same way that you would treat a general market or a white consulting firm that you work with and you pay them accordingly. If you want to work with us, it's the same thing. And so if you figured out how to pay white consultants who are not nonprofits and consulting firms, you can do the same for us because it's the same, if not better caliber of work. So one, know what you're put a value, not a I'm surviving value, but a have worked my ass off to build this. And this is the monetary value that we need to be talking to even start the conversation. And then find out who your, your real target is, right? Who is the person within these organizations who has the purse strings? I know from talking to one brand that will remain nameless, there is one person who's now um, in charge of their Black Lives Matter initiative internally. So they created one um, and she has the purse strings. And granted, it's not a ton of money, again, you work with what they have. But if someone offers you something where you're just like, yeah, no, you're not about to use me, right? I'm not going to be the black girl on the brochure and you're paying me pennies and peanuts. It's just not, 
it's not something that I'm interested in. But there are people now who will have budgets to help them with, you know, DNI stuff or black stuff. Be clear on what your value proposition is. Be clear on how that ties to whatever business objective the companies that you're talking to are trying to hit and how you and working with you and your audience gets them to that place. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How do you think that this will all affect um, sponsorships, like corporate sponsorships? You're going to see a uh, you're going to see a lot of community based stuff happening. Um, you're going to see a lot of messaging around, you know, how, how they're with Black Lives Matter, how diversity and inclusion is important. You're, I think you'll see a lot of ad spending spent on that. I think you're going to start seeing people wanting to partner with more organizations just so that they can show externally that they're at least trying. Um, I think we have an 18 month window really before people start to try to get back to normal. Then, you know, I might be being generous with that because according to all, you know, economics, we're headed for a depression next year. So the conversation may change into what their focus is, but I think we have to hold people accountable. But in sponsors, I think you'll get a lot more people wanting to spend with diverse businesses. I think you will get people wanting to spend more with like black and brown influencers, probably black because like that's who's at the forefront right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'll get a lot more pitches. I don't know if the values, I, I don't know that they'll think to, they might think to not try to lowball people because in this exposure culture, like influencers <laughs> Absolutely. the brands. And so I don't think that they want that risk, but I think we'll have like an 18 month window where if you are really smart and strategic about it, you can build some long lasting financially beneficial relationships. One more question on on this particular topic. Uh, do you think that there'll be a, a more, uh, more of a genuine interest in, <clears throat> in professional mentorship and sponsorship opportunities in corporate America? I do, but again, I think that for mentorship, a lot of it is like they want it to be safe because think about it. You have the Me Too movement, which had black, uh, you had men who were not afraid <laughs> to mentor women yeah. and have, you know, the reality that some people are waking up to about the impact of racism in the, like in the professional setting. I think I saw um, a meme that said um, corporations are uh, terrified that their black employees are actually going to start telling the truth about what it's like to work for them. And so I think that there may be opportunities for mentorship, but again, like you have to be ready to capitalize on those relationships, right? There's like, there's a, there's a certain there's no point in having a personal board of directors if you don't really know how to leverage them, right? Because it's you're just talking about stuff. So what is what is it that you need from a mentor? If you had, if you could choose an ideal mentor in your organization, who would it be and why? Mm-hmm. Right? And that way, so that when someone approaches you to mentor you, and like you're just like this just doesn't feel right, you don't just take it because you're like, oh, I'm just so thirsty for a mentor that I'll take anybody, right? Be really clear on what it is that you need from a mentor why you need that from the mentor and who in the organization can provide that for you. And then, yeah, absolutely. I think they'll be more willing to, to take on mentors um, and hopefully get to know black people because they don't really know black people. Okay. So I have two very hard questions for you that I didn't share ahead of time. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite book and why? Um, the Success Principles, um, and it's by Jack Canfield. 
And I like it because I am someone who gets confused very easily. So when there's books that have like a lot of gray area, like it just, I'm just like, what are you trying to say to me? The success principles is very actionable and really tangible in ways that you can, and it's in entrepreneurship and business. Like it, it has some very tactical things that you can do, um, to help see results if you do them consistently as it pertains to your career and also to business. Okay. And the, the extra hard question, if you could have a coffee date with anyone in the world, who would it be and why? Ooh, a coffee date. So this is a hard question because most of the people that I want to have coffee dates with, I've had um, coffee dates with and then been like, oh, I don't even like you as a person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm kidding. Um, so I think that right now no one because i'm not in a place well maybe it was just to get to know them but i'm not in a place to leverage anything right now beyond what i already need so like i'm i'm up of the mindset that everything that you need to do what you need to do right now you already have access to right and let me repeat that everything that you need to do what you need to do right now, you already have access to. Most of the times we feel a deficit because we're trying to go beyond what is needed to be done right now. And then you're like, oh, I don't have this. Well, because you probably skipped a couple of steps and you're trying to get to step five, but you have everything that you need for step two, which is where you are. Um, but maybe Oprah, but like, or like just a coffee that I want to kiki. Oh, maybe Issa Rae, just because I feel like we could be friends. I can see that. Like, I can see that. Just Issa, maybe Issa Rae. But, but it, it would strictly be like a personal thing. It wouldn't be anything business or career related. Just want to kick it. Just to kick it. Um, have mimosas and like- back on Molly and Lawrence. Because let me tell you, she should not get back on Lawrence. And Molly is on one this season. That's all I'm going to say on that because she- Watch out. But yeah, so like Issa Rae, I think she's phenomenal. I'm appreciative of what she's, she's doing for Black culture. I'm appreciative of like the way that she's grown. Um, and I just think she's dope. So Issa Rae would be my, my like personal, like let's just, and it wouldn't be coffee, it would be like drinks and stuff. What she have on the show? What is it? Uh, champagne and vodka? What did she have with her last yeah. date with Lawrence? You don't think we made that uh, when we watched the last episode? So it, <laughs> oh my God, let me look at the picture. Because we, we literally went. Prosecco and vodka or something like that? It is Prosecco and vodka and then one other thing. Um, and we made it. And that's what we drink when we um, when we are watching Insecure. Okay. <laughs> I, am, I am a little upset that, that this Sunday is the, the last episode of the season. Insecure owes us another episode. Because that Molly episode we could have done without. Like that. It was, it was a filler. It was, I feel like it could have been truncated down to maybe 10 minutes. Because it, it did give us a little layering. It could have been a moment. It should have been a moment yeah. in an episode, not a whole episode. And then, you know we only get 10 episodes. Issa, like, why would you do that? Right. Episodes are like 15 minutes long. It's terrible. I mean, and I I love, I, like, I love Insecure. Yeah. I love, love, love it. I, like, and it's, so the the Black Party episode was like, oh, I'm like, this feels like a Silver Room Black Party. Like, there's just so many uh-huh. moments. It's, it's very relatable. Love it. It is very love relatable. It. Yeah, so Issa Rae would be my person. Okay. So how can people get connected or find out more about I Choose a Ladder? So the best way um, is to subscribe to our newsletter and they can do that by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. Everything that we do is released in the newsletter first. So when we have events that are coming up, tickets get released there first. 
Um, there are articles and job postings that never get shared anywhere else that's shared through the newsletter. Um, and then, you know, I share more personally in the newsletter because I feel like a little bit closer to the people in the newsletter than I do externally. So you get a bit of me every week. It comes out on Mondays. It's called The Memo. Um, and then outside of that, we have Instagram. So it's at I Choose The Ladder. That's the social media platform that I'm the most active on. You can find me on LinkedIn with my name, Watching Yanu. And then we're on Facebook, but I'm not going to lie, like I barely ever, <laughs> ever get on Facebook, but it's at um, I Choose The Ladder Podcast. And you have a do you have a group on Facebook? Yeah, but I stopped the group on Facebook because oh, okay. I, feel, I feel like in order for groups to make sense, like you have to have the time to nurture them and pour into them. I just don't have that. That's another thing, right? I think with business, you hear that you're supposed to be doing all of these things, and so you try to do all these things and you do all of them really poorly. And so I have to take a step back and say, what things can I actually spend time on that have the largest returns financially for my business? And those are the things that I spend the time on. Makes perfect sense. The group got shut down probably about a month ago. Okay. Yeah. See, I'll be, I'll be listening. I'll be paying attention. I just missed you that. Do. You do. <laughs> well, watching, it's it's been a pleasure. I felt like this was long overdue, and I felt like this could even, man, this could have been like a three-hour episode. Um, we should do a live. We should go live one day answering questions, like have people submit questions, and then we'll do like an IG live. I'm all, hey, I'm all for it. You know, we have a number of time. We have a very captive audience. Everybody's looking and listening, you know, mm-hmm. waiting for these, you know, for these these nuggets and if we have the ability and experience to share i feel like that's our obligation to do that so um yeah. y'all heard it here first we're gonna make this happen we're gonna, do we are gonna make it happen. and listen don't because i think also because when i when people find out that i'm like corporate they expect this like super buttoned up y'all i'm a regular person and so i talk how i talk i am who i am so hopefully you guys expect just like truth and honesty and transparency and i'll be i'll share as much as you know i can and it should be fun and that's why you're here because you're authentic but you get the job done you know listen, I'm picky about my village listen and that's because the thing is I refuse to kill my soul in order to fit in anywhere so that's that conversation. on that that is a whole conversation <laughs> well, I think this is a good place to leave it until next time uh, please share and subscribe to Legal Leaders Podcast we will let y'all know when we do the IG Live we'll send it out through our channels but until then good place to leave it thank you all